0: Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, and today I chat with Clement Cullins, the head honcho of Outdoors by Owner. We talk all about triple-tail fishing here along the East Coast. Triple-tails spend the warm months in inshore and nearshore waters from Florida all the way up to Northern Virginia. They're often overlooked but shouldn't be. They're fun to catch and delicious to eat. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast that's only available on Patreon. The registration is now live for the Eastern Current Online Angler Series Redfish Tournament. Click the link in the show notes to sign up today. This will be an artificial-only spring redfish series. You can fish all three tournaments in the series or just one. The tournaments will be hosted through the iAngler app and you can participate from any state. The first tournament will be March 24th and 25th with an online captain's meeting the night before hosted through our Facebook page. The Redfish Tournament will consist of your longest three redfish per day under 32 inches. This is just the start of our online angler series and we're excited to bring you many more tournaments for redfish, speckled trout, flounder and more. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line and fluorocarbon leader and I'm looking forward to giving you some real world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle redfish and speckled trout and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Clement, man, it's good to have you on another podcast and excited to talk with you about a topic that we haven't really discussed. I know triple tail has been talked about on the podcast before. We've talked about triple tail, but never in detail. And I feel like it's a fish that in a lot of states kind of gets overlooked by a lot of anglers. um, And and it's a a great fish to target as far as, you know, sight fishing goes, blind casting goes, but even better fish to eat. So um, you're kind of a triple tail connoisseur right here.
1: Uh, I'm not a triple tail connoisseur, <laughs> but but uh, well, maybe a connoisseur, but not an expert by any means. Um, well, dang it, right, I got the wrong guy then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just you can start dialing for other folks. I'm just um, No, it's a uh, it's a fish that being down here on the Georgia coast, we have a uh, a really awesome fishery for. And just by virtue of that has become a fish that I've taken a lot of interest in Um, catching them all over the place. uh, Just trying to figure out what's going on with them, uh, why they show up here the way that they do. Uh, And it's, there's just so much to these fish that, uh, that uh, like you said, a lot of folks don't know about them. A lot lot of folks don't uh, fish for them, but they're great table fare. They fight like a pelagic, right? So they, they fight like a fish that you would catch 50 miles offshore. Yeah. But you can target them anywhere from the, the back bays, bayous, and rivers to the ocean. Um, they, they have a tremendous geographic distribution. And so they are a fish that you can target in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways
0: what do you think it is about Georgia specifically that attracts so many of those fish in the early spring?
1: I have no idea. And, (laughs) and like, that's the most honest answer I can give you. Uh, I've spent a lot of time talking with our coastal resources division of the Georgia department, of natural resources, and nobody has a great understanding of why they're here. Uh, it's my understanding that those fish are not spawning and, and just to, to sort of set the stage for, uh, the way that the triple tail act down here is, uh, we've got some, some sandbar systems that are off some of the islands and the fish will just congregate there. And you're typically in, you know, four to 15 feet of water, uh, that standard muddy brown Georgia water down here. Uh And it, it's, it's shallow ish and you'll have lots and lots of fish that are just free swimming on the surface. Yeah. You know, they're up and down. They'll come up, they'll lay in the sun, they'll feed, uh they'll go back down. But, but it's in the, the order of magnitude of, you know, thousands of fish out there at, at certain times of the year.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that, that's kind of the, the starting point for why I got curious and why I've had these conversations. You know, it do, it happens in the, the spring and it goes through the summer. Um, we've got, at least in Georgia, great triple tail fishing near shore, uh, say from mid March to really really through September um, and now the the way you target them changes kind of throughout the summer yeah but th- when when they show up it's kind of right in that uh, traditional spawning season right so when when kind of every creature on the planet is mating but it's my understanding from talking to to crd down here that they don't Know or, or maybe even think that those fish are spawning, they just happen to, uh, to show up. And I guess the one thing that I will say that I've noticed is, uh, so down in Georgia, we've got the Georgia white shrimp. They're, they're big, beautiful, delicious shrimp. And about the time those shrimp start moving off the beaches is when the, the triple tail really show up in numbers. Um, so, you know, if I was to give a hypothesis, I, I would say that it, it relates to the food more than mating or anything like that. But, yeah. but that that's kind of, kind of the time of year that they, they show up. And, and again, they kind of leave about the time those shrimp start, start disappearing. So that makes sense. Yeah. A,
0: that, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. It's uh. You know, what's so funny, the the triple tail remind me so much of, uh, of Cobia, not in the way they look, but just their habits and where they hang out and what they do. And the, you know, the floating up on the surface and open water and then, you know, orienting to structure and holding tight to structure. They're like a little brim style Cobia, if you will. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, And they certainly like have the appearance of a, of a very, very, very large brim. Yeah, they do. Um,
0: that's how I always explain it to clients. That when I'll, you know I'll be like, "Oh, there's a triple tail." They're like, "What's a triple tail?" And I'm like, "Well, it looks, you know, like a big brim that lays on its side on the surface, pretty much."
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's exactly right. When when I take folks out that had never fished for them before and we're sight fishing off the beaches, uh, I always tell them to look for for something that looks like a giant floating trash bag. Yeah, which uh, is the perfect. Example, you know, they can come up shining white, they can come up shining silver, they can come up shining black, but it always kind of looks like a almost a piece of trash floating. For sure. Uh, and a lot of times they, they are hanging around with other trash, right? And uh, so they love structure, they love crab pots, they love anything they can get uh, on the, the lee side of of an eddy. Yeah. On um, growing up. I didn't know them as triple tail. We fished for them in a very specific way for about a month every year. Uh, and we either called them eddy fish or marker fish just because they, they were always around markers and they were always always in that eddy current. For sure. Yeah,
0: there's a, from May to the end of June here. I mean, we'll bump into them in a lot of places, but there's a couple like uh, weather buoys and channel markers that you can guarantee there's going to be one on. A lot of times it's a little guy. Um, but, but you can, you can definitely, and, and it's like that, for, well, here's a question for you. Cause you do a lot more triple tail fishing than I, do you feel like you only get one shot at them? Like if they don't eat the first time, you're probably not going to be able to get them to eat.
1: Uh, well, I'm not sure how many of your listeners are Turkey hunters, yeah. but, uh, I, I call triple tail fishing, the Turkey hunting of the sea. Okay. Right. So, so like it depends on how you miss that shot, right? Like if you bust them, they may be gone. Uh, you may, there are days where you know, we'll fish a lot with live shrimp yeah. just cause the, the fish here are pretty particular, but we'll fish a lot with live shrimp and they're, say so we're fishing like a six to 12 inch leader, just real tight on a popping core. Uh, and you toss it you know, kind of after many years, I'd say the way that I like to do it is toss it maybe 10 to 15 yards behind them and then kind of bring that shrimp back to their nose, maybe like a basketball hoop outside of where they're, they're actually sitting. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you can spook these fish. I've had days where, you know, on a sunny day, just the shadow of the cork going over them spooks them. I've had fish where, you know, if you land a little too close to them, it spooks them. I've had fish where you can hit them on the, on the nose and it's just a reaction bite or you hit them, you know, two inches from their face and they act like nothing happened. It's just, it's a different story (laughs) with every fish every day. They're not honest. Yeah, that's, that's right. And like, you can get super discouraged. So a lot of the bigger fish are uh they don't they don't sit and pre float nearly as much as some of the smaller ones do yeah. for whatever reason and that's just totally anecdotal. But like those fish they'll start moving across the surface pretty good. Uh so you know uh what you're looking for for a good targeted shot with the fly or with live shrimp or whatever with those free floaters is kind of just hovering in place. And those big ones will do that. But a lot of times they, they do have a little bit more of a targeted movement to them. They'll be swimming inshore or offshore, just on the surface. Uh, I've found that those fish, you can throw at them a million times and just sometimes they won't eat. right? Right, Uh, Right. The small, smaller fish are a little bit better to eat. They haven't, they haven't learned that there's natural predators out there uh humans to catch them so uh yeah it's it's different with every fish every single day um and then you know I've, I've actually I'm going to kick myself for saying this on a podcast <laughs> but uh I I guess I'm just an egomaniac I want everybody to know how good of a triple tail fish I am right like, I've always uh, had you pegged as that yeah yeah so one thing i've really noticed i started doing it uh two years ago is when i did bust a fish uh i'd ping it on the gps and just ease off either we're doing a lot with the trolling motor we're doing a lot just at idle speed with the with the outboard uh you certainly don't want to be motoring up on them with a two-stroke but the, the four stroke out boards are quiet enough to get within casting range. And, and so if I spook a fish or he just goes down for whatever reason, which does happen, you know, I will, I'll sit back and do one of two things, right? I'll either toss a shrimp, and this is only for live bait fishing, I'll toss a shrimp where that fish went down. And a lot of times, you know, they've gone down, but only a few feet. And so you, you still have a good shot at that fish. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, for a couple minutes. But then the other thing that I'll do is I'll, where we are, we've got big tides, a lot of wind. And so you're getting blown off that fish, whatever is happening. And I'll just, I'll let the boat get blown off the fish, have it marked on the GPS where it was and then kind of slide back into position and hover there. And that action of coming back to that fish, he wanted to be on the surface. He wanted to, to eat and just had something to interrupt it. And his natural reaction was to just go down for a little bit. And I won't say nine times out of 10, but at least seven times out of 10, those fish will pop back up. And it may be 50 yards away. It may be, you know, right next to the boat where you'll never get another shot and maybe a lot of things, but those fish will come back up. Okay. That's
0: pretty sweet. So are you always, there's, is there any trolling motor involved in this for you or are you just kind of always on the motor on the big motor?
1: Uh, I'm a theoretical trolling motor guy. Okay, I've, <laughs> I've set out every time. I'm like, yeah, we'll just get tight and then trolling motor into him. Um, it just works out that with the wind and the tide that we have, you're, we're kind of cruising for them at all times. And so, you know, it's, it is like cobia fishing off the beaches in that regard. You're just kind of constantly riding and looking. Yeah. And, you know, 99% of the time you want to get on that fish, take a shot. You're not going to spook them with the, with the outboard. Um, and so, so that's kind of, my go-to strategy, if I'm fishing a tournament, or there's like a big fish that I, you can just rest assured that a big fish is going to be spooky. So if there's like a super big fish, or I'm fishing a tournament, uh, I'll take a little bit more time and, and throw the trolling motor in. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the one thing I've noticed that's bad about the spotlight. On the trolling motor, though, is you just kind of got to be cognizant of what's going on with your trolling motor, especially if you get up tight to a fish. It, it, if you've used a trolling motor, you, you know what I'm describing, but yeah. like when you hit that spot lock and you get off kilter a little bit, that motor will just like start spinning around and cranking up and yeah. just, it makes a lot of noise and I've had that spook fish a couple times, so typically what I'll do is, even if I am using the trolling motor, I can maybe get a little bit closer, but then I just turn it off instead of spot locking on it. Yeah, um, yeah. and it, it just that saved me a, a few fish. But yeah, I mean, it, this is one of those if you're in a good fishery for them, they're they're not super shy to the sound of a motor. Uh, I think it's something they're pretty familiar to. Uh, So whether you're in the Keys fishing them on lobster pots or, you know, offshore trolling for dolphin and you just happen to see one on a, on a piece of trash that's floating out there, which happens a lot. um, Or you're tight fishing for them on the coast of Georgia. Like you can get pretty tight on them. You don't have to have, it's, there's a big learning curve but it, it's not a, a fishery that you have to like go out and have the best gear for, right? right? Like so right. it's kind of an it's an everyman fishery.
0: Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I think that uh there's there's a lot of fisheries for these fish that people don't really realize. Like I didn't realize for a while that we had them in our rivers the way that we do until I started talking you know, got to know some crabbers and talked to them at the dock and it seems like they're pretty affected here by the rain so like they'll they'll be like man i'll ask them you know and they're like man we haven't seen them yet or uh, like i remember last year i asked them and they were like man i wish you'd asked us a week ago before all that rain they were on every single crab pot we had a triple toe on every crab pot and then it, a bunch of rain and the river got you know the salinity changed is that something you see driving those fish down there in georgia as well or or, or not not as much because that could be false i mean it could have just been a migration thing um i don't i don't have the facts to check it but there's there's a there's a crabber i talk to quite often who will you know swears that when it rains heavy they all get out of the river
1: uh let me just point out that you have just given your listeners the best advice person the best yeah. advice point yeah. that i know of and that is crabbers those guys they know everything about everything they, do. they um, really do <laughs> like i'm I know a bunch of crabbers down here, and I, I use them for everything from like duck reports to, uh, to triple tail and tarpon and everything. So, uh, huge information resource there out of those guys. You know, to answer your question, though, I don't know, right? Like, yeah. it's, there's so many variables that go into a migratory species like the triple tail, or, you know, and, In some cases, a semi migratory, like I think we have a population that sticks around all year. I think some migrate. Um, salinity's definitely got to be a factor. And I'm just, you're making me think through stuff that, that I hadn't really thought about that much, but we've got, we've got some sandbar systems around here that have the makeup of, the ones where triple tail are frequenting yeah. and they just don't do it. And those are typically at the, uh, at the confluence of a, a large freshwater system that's coming out. So gotcha. 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 I, I, I don't know. And to that point, um, the, the main beaches that everybody fishes off of, they're really in a massive freshwater system within say, you know 10 or 12 miles
0: yeah, yeah so they're a little more safe a little more of a buffer from you know a big push of fresh water if you will if you had a bunch of rain
1: yeah but but then in the fall like totally throw that out the window you know it, so what happens is in the fall the fish down here they kind of go back up into the river systems, and that's when you can fish for them on. Like intercoastal markers, yeah. Any any of the like three-legged markers typically have some fish on them. Uh, channel buoys that are in the interior rivers, they'll have them. Um, and those, in those areas, man, where I grew up fishing is like right in the mouth of a freshwater river. So salinity, you yeah. know. I guess late summer there's a lot more saltwater in those areas and those sounds. But, uh, you know, we really are just right at the mouth of like the Altamaha river, which is a tremendous watershed.
0: Yeah. It's funny. It, I, I say often on the podcast that fishing for a lot of species, it's like a lot of really, you know, strict hard fast rules that can be broken often. <laughs> you know, it's like they're only going to be in if it's really salty and it's like, but sometimes not,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah, So, yeah, so yeah. it's like, yeah.
0: it's good guidelines, but you know, whenever you put yourself in some hard box fishing wise, as far as like, this is how it's got to happen is when you like stop, when you stop learning and stop trying new stuff. Um, So as far as the, the non site fishing goes for an angler that might want to get out there and try to target these fish uh, in a way that, you know, they might be comfortable with because a lot of people aren't, you know, they haven't site fished anything. And so it's, it's a little tougher thing to wrap your head around. What are some of the things you look for and techniques you use to maybe target triple tail on the coast and in the rivers uh, when you can't see them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So when we're fishing off the beaches, I'm typically throwing like a pretty light seven foot rod with, you know, probably 40 pound braid on it. And a small popping cork with, like I said, a six to 12, maybe sometimes an 18 inch leader. And then, uh, I'm a big kale hook guy and uh, there's a lot of opinions out there. I've always been a kale hook guy. So I'm using a, a pretty small. If, I'll use as small of a kale hook as I think I can land a big fish on. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've been proven wrong on that several times. And, uh, and so that's always kind of a fluctuating adjustment. Uh, but that's, I mean, there you're using fluorocarbon leaders, small hooks. You're getting real tight on those fish. They can see everything that's going on. When I back up to uh, the channel markers and the the buoys and posts that are a little bit more interior, I'm usually beefing up my rod a little bit more, Uh, maybe still with that 40-pound braid on there, maybe with 60 and typically, what I'm doing there is fishing a slip cork. Yep. Um, at at and around slack water, okay. and so your your mileage may vary on that last piece. Down here, we've got like eight to ten, sometimes twelve foot tide swings, <laughs> and so we yeah, we've got huge tides, and so like the idea of fishing a small eddy current at a like a half tide is just laughable. That water can be moving, you know, three, five, six knots, which doesn't sound fast, but for water, that's, that's a lot of water moving very quickly. Yeah, your so, shrimp's
0: going to be in there for a very minimal amount of time.
1: Right, right. Like even if you almost have to be an expert to even put it in the eddy right, with, right. with that much current coming through. Uh, so we're fishing, you know, kind of a little bit deeper, maybe started out four, four, six, eight feet down. No matter um,
0: what the depth of the structure is, you're, you're, you're sticking to that four to six to eight feet.
1: Yeah, I guess. I mean, the structure plays into it. Okay.
0: Um, maybe are you, but, you are know, you trying to go like mid water column or. I'm trying to go to the top third, like okay, a top third. Okay. So, uh, so top yeah. third of whatever depth you're in is what you want to set your slip float at.
1: Yeah. And, and I've never really thought about it that way, but that's, that's kind of what my experience has dictated. You still want to be above that fish in most circumstances. Yeah. Cause, uh, if you look at a triple tail, if they're not sitting sideways, if they're sitting, you know, vertical, like a normal fish would swim, Mm -hmm. their eyes are right on top of their head. And so they are, they are a total ambush predator. So they're always looking up for their next meal. So, you know, I'll kind of ping it down through the water column and give, give every marker that, you know, after doing it for as many, however many years I've been fishing for triple tail. I mean, since I was not old enough to drive a boat that I kind of have an idea of the markers. I like to fish. That's kind of the big experiment is, you know, how do you, Figure out where to target these things, um, and and if you can dial in on some markers that these fish like to be on, you just kind of work it hard. Different angles. You always want to be kind of coming. The best setup is if you can work it. Let's talk about like a big round channel marker, right? Yeah. So like like a floating can, can or like a like
0: yeah, a, like, yeah
1: a, like, a can. like a can, yeah, a can. So if you can work it from the outside of that can back into the eddy current just let it sort of sit there and then work its way out, um, it'll catch a, a little swirl after a while and work its way out and then just sort of hit it for a while. Yeah. You want, you want to hit it for, you know, until you're sure there's not a fish on there. Um, and there's, there's some good shortcuts these days. If you're good with your side scan, you can kind of, you can, you can see if there's a fish there Yeah. sometimes. I mean, I would even caution folks against, you know, relying on the side scan. If, if there's a fish there and it's presenting correctly, you'll definitely see it. But that's not to say that a lot of times there are fish there and they're just not presenting on the side scan and, and they're still right. sitting there. Right. So, so kind of, you know, if you take it from the, the right side or the left side of the can, do the opposite side working at different depths. Um, you always want to be above those fish. And some of these places we're fishing, you know, 30, 40 foot of water. And I can't, I can't say that I've ever dropped a slip cork more than, say, 15 feet down. Um, not that I can think of. That's not to say they're not down there. Right. A, lot of guys, a lot of guys will catch them inadvertently most of the time, but catch them on the bottom. So flounder uh, fishing or something like that. Yeah, yeah, or whiting fishing or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just they're a really strange fish, right? They're hard to pattern. They're hard to tell what they're what they're gonna do. I mean, I've had days where, you know, more in the sight fishing world, but it's like you go out there on a beautiful, sunny, 70 degree day with a little bit of chop to clear to clear out the glare and like don't see anything and then the next day it's like blowing 15 out of the northeast and you're crazy for and being out there and you see 50 fish, right so it, it there's kind of no rhyme or reason to to why they're out there yeah. or why they're up top or you know what marker they're on obviously there's patterns there's there's Certainly a lot to be said for honing in on triple tail fishing. Um, if you're, if you're going to commit to it, if you're going to go fish the markers and stuff, it's, uh, it, it takes time. It takes patience for, for me, it's, it's also a great thing. Like I, I don't catch a whole lot of trout or redfish or flounder right at slack tide. Um, which kind of leaves, if I'm fishing through a slack tide, um, it, that leaves kind of either dropping on some sheep's head or going and hitting a, hit a couple cans. Yeah, uh, for sure. And so it, it can be, it, it's at least a good way to kill some time on a otherwise bad tide and can be super productive. Um, and those big fish on the markers on the cans, you know, you'll get a shot at a lot of big fish and it's, it's game on. Once you uh, once you hook one of those things, I mean, I can't tell you how many fish I've lost. They're big, strong fish. They'll pull you back into the structure. You really got to wrench them out quick, get them out of there. That's why we use the beefier rods whenever we're we're uh, fishing on the markers. Yeah. And you just got to get their butts out of there and get them into open water, and then then you've got uh, a little bit better chance of landing them.
0: If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an I-Strike Texas eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike strike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deepwater structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike strike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all I-Strike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P-127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. So tell me this, because here in North Carolina, it's very hard to get live shrimp once it warms up. The shops stop carrying them. So what what is it? Could you use mud minnows? Do you think that would be as effective to float mud minnows on a slip cork underneath uh, that stuff and whatnot, underneath the structure?
1: Oh, man. You, you're getting into some seriously protected information now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll hear the old timers talk about catching them on, on cut pogey, right? Gotcha. So I mean, they're, they're a hungry fish. I've caught them on and really it, it it's kind of an exercise in matching the hatch right yeah. like the, like the freshwater guys do so if you're cruising around off the beaches or you're sitting up next to some mm. uh, markers or or cans or whatever it is just kind of take a look and see what's what's out there uh, I've never caught one on a glass minnow but everything else is pretty much fair game uh, nice. Pogies finger mullet uh, mud minnows pretty much pretty much anything I mean they're like I said they're just an ambush predator yeah. and if you if you take a look at those especially the crab pots that are kind of back inshore uh, if you take a look at them there's always a ton of little bait fish cruising around those things yeah they're using the eddies as well and so you know I, I kind of try and Match whatever whatever's in there, um, and whatever you can have access to. For uh, sure, you can also you can throw artificials to them. Um, you can throw voodoo shrimp or gulp shrimp or uh, doas or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for our like I said, for our fishing population, it's uh, those fish are a little bit spooky, and I think there is just so much bait around that they are a little bit more peculiar. Yeah. Uh, in particular, and they don't, they don't want a DOA that's just sitting there. Um, sorry if, if that, if that runs a foul of one of your sponsors or something. <laughs> no, uh, no,
0: no, you're good. <laughs> hey, live bait is always great. And that's what I like to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you can, you can certainly target them with those. It, it'd be hard to get a, a swimming bait in front of one. Yeah. Um, you, especially anything that's sinking, I guess you could try a mirror lure or something like that. That's suspender. standard. Uh, man, I'm, I might have to try that. That sounds fun. Um, yeah. But, especially some
0: of those like little tiny mirror lures that might work well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just sort of twitch it. Yep. Um, you, you really just want to give a long presentation in front of that fish, Yeah. which it does lend itself to fly fishing there. Right. So, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, you know, anything from like a a deceiver to uh, clousers are a little bit tricky again, unless you're fishing a real light clouser. Um, yeah, shrimpy patterns, crab patterns, you can you can throw all those at them, and it it's not hard to to get them to chase. Yeah. Um, the converting on a chase with a triple tail is is a little bit trickier, just because you got to have a lot of patience and you know the tendency especially if you're playing in, in wind and tide is uh to kind of strip it a little bit faster than than you want to it's all about that delayed presentation and just hanging it out there in front of them without making it look dead and just you know a bunch of twitches and, and short strips back for sure
0: yeah that's uh the the triple tail man that what you said about them always following but not often, always eating is so true it's like because so many other fish like once you kind of get that initial follow they're probably going to eat it but triple tail man they'll follow it over and over and over again and then sometimes they'll decide to eat it but then when i've when i have fish live shrimp or uh, you know cut bait or live bait to them um down in the keys and whatnot if they come off that pot for them it's like they're going to eat them One, yeah oh sorry what saying?
1: I, I was gonna just say yeah that that South Florida fishery is—I mean, those fish for whatever reason just seem very hungry, and uh, and will eat if you can pull them off the structure. They're they're going to eat, yeah, right? For sure. And and same with with your offshore fish. Um, for any of your guys that are, are listening to do a decent bit of offshore fishing, and, and I'm talking anything from just outside of the inlet to you know. 60, 70 miles offshore, if there's a piece of trash floating around, like every offshore guy knows, like, oh, I'm going to go look for dolphin around a, a right. piece of floating whatever, fridge or basket or whatever it is, but keep an eye out for those triple tails, too, um, and, and it can be super productive, and those fish, wherever you are, if you turn a fish off of a off of a piece of trash out in the water it's going to come uh come annihilate it most of the time and those offshore fish they get super pretty like you'll see them blown up like orange and black and just green they get some really cool colors whenever they're further out
0: we ran into uh like probably a 20 foot tree one time with some branches old tree like it had been probably washed up on a beach somewhere for a long time but it had like 15 triple tail on it one time. when uh, This was maybe three or four summers ago. And we were out running around looking for albies. So it was late summer. It was probably September, actually. August, September. And uh, we, we hooked, we at least hooked the majority of the fish that were on that tree. <laughs> on the fly rod, they were, they'd were they come out and eat it. Or, or at least fed the majority of the fish on that tree, which was pretty cool. And I was like, it was tempting to me. I was like, man, I, it's tempting to, I know it's illegal, but make some type of triple tail fad out here that I could come check when I'm out in the ocean, but yeah, that, yeah, that's a, that's a different story. And w- one thing that my buddy, um, my, bu- I told my, I n- I've never, still never tried this, but I have a good buddy Elias and he, he, d- he does a bunch of YouTube videos. And so one time I had the conversation with the crabber and he said there was a ton of triple tail and I didn't have the opportunity to go fish for him, but I told him about it. So he went and tried to fish the, a bunch of crab pot buoys, uh, with, uh, mud crabs because he was thinking um, maybe the—or maybe it was shrimp. I think it was mud crabs, actually. But he's like, I think the triple-toe will probably eat a crab. And and went and floated all these crab pots on a on a cork, you know, with a with a hook and a mud crab underneath it. And caught a ton of sheep's head just drifting uh, along the edge of the crab pots, which was something that, you know, I've never thought of. But it makes sense that, you know, if big crabs are attracted to those crab pots, little crabs probably are too, which in return is going to draw the sheep's head in. So— um, is that something you've ever ran into hook and sheephead when you're kind of drifting for, for triple tail?
1: I can't say it is. I can't, but now, now my brain is just like running a mile a minute. Like where can I go just target both of them? Cause it, they really are kind of, they're totally different fish and you, you fish for them totally differently in a lot of situations, but both sheep's head and triple tail, you know, they're, they love to be around structure. They love to, to kind of hang up in the eddy currents, Um, and so, you know, it, if you're not getting the, the triple tail up top, dropping down and, and hitting a, a sheep's head down low would definitely be a possibility. For sure. Um, and, and we've got like off the beaches, there's some old shipwrecks and just pylons and things that have been dropped over the years out there and and those always do if you know where they are and know where to look for them um, you know unmarked wrecks or or whatever uh, those typically have fish around them triple tail around them and I would imagine they've got to have some drum or sheep's head or redfish or something else that's actually hanging on that wreck
0: oh for sure for sure, it was. Uh, it made so much sense when he said it. Like, oh, sheep said we'll hang around crab pots because it's like usually crab pots kind of out on open sand or mud, away from like oysters and structure, or close by probably, but not, not uh, not on top of it. And so it's drawing these crabs out, you know, in open water essentially to this food source. And why would a sheep said not hang out behind it and watch a crab crawl up to the to pot and then go eat it? So it made perfect yeah, sense. And it's, Just something I never thought about.
1: And I mean, if you think about what what the crabbers are using for bait right like you're you're ba- they're basically running a a free chum line for you
0: very true it's very true it's it's something i think about like every time this time of year i'm, like, I'm gonna i'm gonna try that for a couple of days or at least for you know an hour each trip run out and, and fish crab pots uh you know it's a little piece of structure it's small i mean you can know if something's on it pretty quick so you could go hit 30 crab pots in an hour probably you know you, the 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 other cool thing too about like guiding or if you had a larger party of people in your boat you're talking about running the corks at different depths I was thinking like from a guiding standpoint you don't have to keep changing the split corks like if I went and did it I could you know have one person at three feet one person at six feet one person at eight feet and then just roll up to all the structure and everybody make a couple drifts on it and you're kind of covering all those depths and and little pieces of the structure pretty quick and you can move through it a little bit faster but um, I'm excited man yeah I'm excited for some triple tail this spring. That's something I really want to put some more time into for sure.
1: If, uh, if you do that this summer on one of your trips, if, uh, if you run four different corks on one piece of structure, will you just, uh, will you make sure that you take a video of that? Because if you can, if you can get four anglers to throw it at one piece of structure, and not get all tangled up in each other. That's you so are, true. That's very. You true. are the world's <laughs> best guide.
0: <laughs> that's very. That's very true. I guess um, if it was a big piece of structure, it makes sense. But just a single can, it would be tough. But <laughs> yeah. Now I want you to try it. I'm gonna, try it. The video. I'm gonna try it. Send
1: me the video. <laughs> I'll make
0: sure I'm recording. I'll, make, I'll definitely make sure I'm recording. Um, but no, I think uh, I think that it's it's something that's overlooked here in North Carolina heavily. But I mean, I, any nice day that I'm in the ocean running around. And I'm looking, you know, if I've got sun and I'm always, if I can see well and I'm in the ocean, I'm always, you know, looking for a cobia or a triple tail or something on the surface from like the beginning of May until the end of June. And I know they're here longer, but I almost always see triple tail. You know, it's it's something that is pretty darn common uh, for me to, to see during that time frame if I've got good visibility, good light. So they're definitely around, and and I, I got a buddy that actually caught one last summer, maybe the summer before. He he saw something floating, went over there. It was a toilet seat, and it had like a like almost a eighteen twenty pound triple tail sitting on it, like an absolute monster. And uh, That's awesome. he threw a little piece of uh of ballyhoo. He had been offshore fishing, threw a little piece of ballyhoo to it, and the fish ate it. So it's uh you know sometimes they just they don't care, they'll eat anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you yeah, know, especially if you're in a place that doesn't have a whole lot of pressure on them, um, I think I think you can throw a lot more variety to them. Um, and, and that's, like, when we try and target them on the fly, like, we'll end up usually out there where everybody's going, but a lot of times we'll try to slip off to a part of the beaches that – that you don't see as much pressure and just, yeah. just try and entice them a little bit more down there. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. So.
0: What is a, is, as far as a day of, tell me both, a day of sight fishing, like what does a good day of sight fishing look like? Like how many shots, how many fish? And then as far as like floating baits, you know, when you can't sight fish for triple tail, what does a good day look like?
1: Yeah. So if you're just sort of fishing the markers, um, not sight fishing for them, down here, we've got, you know, you'll have a, I'd say, a solid one-hour window. You know, sometimes it can only be 30 minutes, and sometimes it can be, you know, two and a half, three hours. Right. Uh, but, you know, if you if you can hook three and land one or two, that's, that's a pretty dang good day. Uh, there are guys that, that do it a lot more than I do, that have a lot more success, but – it's it's a pretty low percentage game down here, just because we don't have a a giant window. But you know, by the same token, it it's not a huge commitment if the boat's in the water or you've got a few hours to kill, but not a whole day. It's a great thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, on the on the site fishing, we're really man. It's like you know. N- 9 a.m. is generally going to be the earliest you can get out there um, after the time changes. And then, you know, by 3 or 4, you've really lost all your good light. So kind of the, the traditional wisdom would tell you 10 to 2 to go fish for them. And, man, I'd, I'd say a good day would be 6 or 8 fish with – one or two keepers in there. Uh-huh. Um, we, it's not quite to the, to the tarpon rubric of, you know, C10, hook five, catch one, but it, it's, or whatever that saying that is, is right. completely not true. Um, you probably see, see three to five fish for every one shot you get. Uh, and then I'd say, you know, on a standard day, you're probably converting 50% of that. Um, so, you know, on a good day, we'll go out, we'll see, say, 15 to 40 fish right. in that window. And, you know, throwing it 8 or 10, catching 5 or 6, and having 1 or 2 being being keepers that's
0: awesome that's fun yeah that's i mean that's that's a good that's a good ratio i mean that's that's sight fishing for you you know there's going to be days that are that are silly you know in a lot of sight fishing scenarios there's days where i'm where you throw a tarpon and every one of them tries to eat the fly i mean not maybe not every one but it's uh that standard is almost the same across the board for for all fish except for maybe redfish (laughs) that are a little little more willing to eat a lot of times but uh but yeah that's awesome man i'm excited to do some more triple tail fishing this year and and making it something that that's part of the the regiment and and I feel like fishing you know that structure and whatnot there's the chance at a bycatch as well during that slack tide which is tough anywhere um you know especially especially a slack high a slack low you could be red fishing but a slack high is is uh is a very tough tide to kind of fill at least where I am so I'm excited to Yeah that to try That's it. no man's land it's for no, sure. It's no man's land for sure. Well, man, thank uh, you, thank you so much. Is there anything else uh, as far as as triple tail fishing goes, pointing people in the right direction to to catch these fish that, that we've missed on? Uh,
1: yeah, and and it's just sort of a word of caution. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been, I guess, the first time I sight fished for a triple tail, uh, I was, gosh, I was probably eleven or twelve years old, yeah. and. One of my dad's friends, uh, had just bought a, a flat boat and he was like, come on, we're going to go catch triple tail." I thought it was crazy telling me we were going to go catch these fish that were just going to be floating around in the ocean. And we got out there and so this is, you know, over 20 years ago. That's awesome. Like 25 years ago. And we got out there and there were honestly hundreds of... Hundreds of fish out there. And it's something that because we do have that awesome fishery down here and it's easy, you know, the main grounds are like a 20-minute boat ride from the major marinas um, in the area. So it's, it's a fishing population, a fishery that's gotten really depleted. Really pressured over the years. Yeah. Um, Georgia, we've been, we were kind of on the forefront of, of adding limits and making sure that we had a sustainable fishery. But even with all that pressure, I mean, down here, it's two fish per person per day. And so it's one of those things that I have personally gone to no more than two fish a boat. Keeping them, yeah. Um, which is, it's hard to do. They are great fishy. They're just really cool, and it's hard not to get psyched when you catch the keeper and want to throw it in the cooler. But everywhere that they're discovering triple tail fishing now, like the triple tail has always been there, people are just starting to catch on to it, and I'm seeing it kind of up and down the East Coast, in the Keys, uh, over around Florida on the Forgotten Coast. I don't know about, like, Texas and things like that, but... Oh, all the way up in uh, Virginia,
0: though. I mean, those fish, guys are catching them, you know, seeing them and catching them consistently. A lot of tower boats up there, and people are seeing the triple tail often in
1: Virginia. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I would just encourage any of your listeners to really be mindful whenever you're keeping these fish. We we have depleted our fishery. There's still, like I said, hundreds of fish out there, maybe in the order... Orders of magnitudes of thousands, but it's just not what it used to be. And, you know, I, I'm one of those guys like that's a really hard line to toe. I don't want the government to come in and regulate, but at the same time, it's got to be a sustainable fishery and we've got to have changes if, if things aren't working. And so, you know, I, I've made a push, you know, just amongst my friends and my fishing group, you know, let's not keep every keeper that we catch. Because those are your big spawners. Those are the ones that are going to propagate the, uh, the next generation of big fish. And uh, it's, it's something that, that I think about a lot. It's something we talk about a lot. Um, and it's something that, that we just uh, – I'm, I'm super passionate about the triple tail and the fishery and making sure that it exists. Yeah, um, definitely. I think that's something that's so important
0: and I really try to talk about more and I maybe want to talk, we, we can talk later at a later date about it, but there's release over 20, which is awesome. And I completely agree with release over 20, but some, just a push to, and maybe it would be through release over 20, um, but some type of push to, you know, or, or to push people to set their own length requirements and limits based on what they think is sustainable for their own fishery, you know, let's be honest like we can't always trust the government and their decisions and so you know why trust that just because it says we can keep you know four trout or you know five redfish or wherever we are that that's necessarily the best option for for our fishery and, and that the problem is a lot of these fisheries or all these fisheries are managed statewide and like for for here in wilmington like yeah the 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 four trout apiece it makes sense you know i mean i'm not i'm not disagreeing this is gonna get End up blowing up, and people get mad at me for saying something like this. But um, it's just because it it works. Let's say on the Pamlico Sound might not work on a smaller body of water like down here on the Cape Fear River, or you know Wrightsville Beach, Topsail Beach. Uh, you know, and and it's I don't I don't expect the state to manage all these little areas individually, but it could be something that that us as anglers need to need to think of. That just because you know you can do it here where maybe there's a lot more fish and a lot more open water that you can't you know you can't target fish everywhere every day. But you get down in, in the southern part of North Carolina and it's small bodies of water that I mean you could fish every single day if you wanted to. Like there's days that you you can get to pretty much every place inshore every day, no matter what the weather's yeah. doing, unless it's unless it's blowing its absolute butt off. But um I think coming up with some some personal limits and personal size requirements and caps uh, is a is an important thing to think of.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. And you know, down down in Georgia we've got an awesome Department of Natural Resources. I I love those guys. They're always willing to listen to my, my rants and raves. Yeah. And uh that's that's at least something we've talked about um doing because 'cause we're the same way. We only have a hundred miles of coast. But yeah we're we're seeing not on Triple Tail but on redfish, we're seeing wildly disparate uh, reports of what people are catching. And, And so, you know, the conversation has definitely been broached. Like, well, the guys in Savannah are saying that they got plenty, but and the guys in Kingsland are saying they got plenty, but kind of that middle stretch, they're saying they don't. So, you know, is it something we need to look at regulating more geographically, you know, More targeted than, than what we have been. And they're, they're super open to the conversation. And so it's great to have, I want to say the word partner, but a regulatory agency that will at least listen and, and be, uh, be agreeable to whatever solution makes everybody happy, which is impossible, but, you know, (laughs) makes most people happy. And at the end of the day, their, their voice is for, the the fishing game that doesn't have its own voice and so that's always front of mind for them um yeah, and so sure. yeah there's there's solutions out there we just gotta we gotta be able to find them most um, definitely
0: most definitely and I, I i think it's it's time to you know if, if you feel like your fisheries struggling wherever you might be fishing or listening to this like take it into your own hands you know go go uh go to the public hearings or don't go to the public hearings, but the fish you catch, you know, follow your own regulations, if you will. Don't break the regulations. You know, If you think that I should be able to keep a fish over slot, that's not what I'm saying here, but I'm saying if, <laughs> if within, if within the regulations you feel like maybe it should be changed a little bit. I mean, it's something that you can definitely do and, and push your, your fish and buddies to do and make a, make a difference. I mean, every fish that goes back into the water is, is, uh, you know, is, it has a chance. I mean, so that's a whole, this is a whole other podcast we're getting into really, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, uh, yeah. just, just a good, good food for thought. So nothing wrong at all with keeping fish fully, you know, support that, but, but uh, you know, just stuff to think about, but man, thank you so much for hopping on and talking triple tail with us. I hope that like it did for me, for some listeners kind of sparked some thought and gave some ideas uh, to, to go and, and go and try in your fishery. And, uh, and, and just because it's, I think, I mean, the standard structure fishing is going to hold true anywhere for true that triple tail are, but you know, there might be a different way to target them in some different areas. If you do have, you know, say you're in Virginia or like, you know, we catch them like this a lot of ways, like let us know. We'd love to hear and maybe do a, a podcast about triple tail in some other States. Cause it's a fish that we've kind of neglected here on the podcast uh, and, and want to talk about more because it's definitely a fish that, that is in a lot of these waters here from Georgia all the way up to Virginia and relative to our listeners. So Man, thank oh, that was another ramble. But thank you for hopping on with us.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I guess the last thing I'll add, Judd, is uh, a shameless self plug, and that is uh, if anybody is interested in triple tail fishing or wants to get into it, and wants to come check out the awesome Georgia fisheries. Where uh, I'm, I'm on the board of directors for the St. Simons uh, Marina, the St. Simons Boating and Fishing Club. We're having a uh, a triple tail tournament we do it every year and it's uh Saturday, May twenty seventh of this year. It's a, a one day tournament. Um got prizes for the biggest fish and in the in the true spirit of uh of conservation we encourage all of our anglers to uh keep those triple tail alive and we give a one pound bonus uh if of a, a, Fish is weighed alive and successfully released. So oh, that's awesome. We're, yeah, so we're we're pumped to be doing it again. Open so to the public. Um, it's super reasonably priced and uh, a great great opportunity to come check out a really cool fishery and uh, have some fun, meet some folks, and maybe drink a beer or two
0: along the way. Heck yeah! Well, I am gonna be trying to get down there and fish you for that. So. I was actually just talking to my wife about that earlier, but man, thank you. You guys come fish the triple tail tournament down in Georgia. Go check out some crab pots and some some channel markers in your area and see if you can catch a triple tail yourself. But man, thank you for hopping on, and uh, as always, guys, we'll see you all next week. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.